There is unimaginable power in water. The power to give life. And the power to take it away. Its force can destroy entire cities. Yet a single well can sustain a village. We pray for rain to fall on thirsty soil and bring a new harvest. We yearn for it, but we're never fully satisfied. The same sea that God parted to rescue his chosen people. He brought crashing down to destroy their enemies. And when the relentless waves of life crash down, drowning us in the depths of despair, only one hope keeps us holding on. To be rescued, revived, raised to life. Moses was stuck. In front of him, there's water as far as the eye can see. Behind him, he's got a group of whining and complaining Israelites. And behind them is a group of Egyptian army led by a very, very frustrated and ticked off Pharaoh. Moses is drowning in a series of questions. Why did God bring him here only to let him die on the side of this particular ocean? He's drowning in the whining and complaining of the Israelite people. And he cries out to God. And what he hears back doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because this is God's solution to Moses' dilemma. I'll meet you in the water. He basically says, we're going to do this different, Moses. We're, going to, we're not going to run like some people would see running. We're not going to fight as some people would see fighting. Instead, here's what you're going to do, Moses. You're going to take your stick and you're going to lift it up over the water and you're going to stand back and watch what God does best. Now, we have this movie version of how that works, right? We see Charlton Heston, you know, up on the rock like, wah. You know, or if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, he goes all Gandalf, you know, and just like, you will not pass. That's not the Moses I know from Scripture. This insecure guy who was in and then out, I see him more walking up to the edge of that rock with his little stick when God says, raise your staff over the Red Sea. And I thought it kind of goes like this. (laughs) I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's an amazing moment in scripture, but the rest of it's history, isn't it? God pushes back to sea, and the people cross through on dry land, and the same water that saves Israel then crushes and kills the threat to God's people. And at the end of the story, Moses and his people are not drowning anymore because he and his people have been raised to life. More about that next week. Make sure you stick with the whole series. This week we're going to move to another person who is drowning. In Luke chapter 7, we find a lady who's drowning in grief and sorrow. She wakes up that morning knowing that she's going to have to do another funeral. She's drowning in her own tears. The water line is, is above her nose. She can't breathe because she has no option. She's got nowhere to turn. The funeral takes place, according to the Bible, in a little town called Nain. I did a lot of research on Nain because every time you see a location in Scripture, they're very important, so it's important to know what's important about that town. I studied Nain, and you know what I found out about it? Nothing. (laughs) There's nothing to know about it. The fact that it's not special is what makes it very, very special because it could have been Ferndale, could have been Everson, could have been Bellingham, 
I doubt it was Linden. We'll go with that, okay? So I can say that. I live there, all right? It's just a normal place filled with people who are encountering the grief of losing a loved one, just like everybody else, and doing the best they can to try and cope with the pain. And this is what the Bible says happens. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. So here's my summary of Luke chapter 7. I call it a story of twos and ones. We find two large crowds, two groups of people, one being led by death and the other being led by life. One group filled with pain, the other with expectation. One group caught in the fog of grief and the other in the clarity of an absolutely beautiful day. One heading out of town, one heading into town. Two groups of people. One being led by a broken-hearted mother who just lost her son. The other being led by the only begotten son of God who was about to move in the direction of healing people's hearts forever. We've got two large crowds. We've got two broken hearts. The woman at the head of the procession was in deep trouble. The Bible tells us she'd not only just lost her son, but she'd also lost her way to exist in that culture because the the Bible tells us that she hadn't just lost her son. The Bible also said she was a widow, which means at some point previous, she'd lost her husband. In her culture, her husband was supposed to care and provide for her. When he was gone, it was her son's job. When her son was gone, if another family didn't step in, nobody was there to look after her. And she basically had two options. Begging and prostitution. So she hadn't just lost her son that day, she lost her hope. She lost her future. She has a broken heart, but there's a second broken heart. That's the heart of Jesus. And the Bible says the heart of Jesus went out to her. I love the Greek word here. The the Greek word is splanchniatsomai. You should learn to say that just because it's fun to say. (laughs) Splanchniatsomai, it means from the gut. Out of the gut of the Son of God comes this, this empathy for this woman. He knows her pain. He knows her loss. And the Bible calls Jesus a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And the truth is, we don't like that picture of Jesus as a man of sorrows. We like the, the all-in-control Jesus. We like the Jesus who doesn't cry at the drop of a hat. We like the Jesus who can, who can walk through anything until we walk through grief and sorrow. And then there's something really, really cool about having a Savior who gets it. His two only sons. Don't miss that little fact in the story. It's important. There's the only son of the widow who's gone and the only begotten son of God who is now standing in her way. And there's going to be a collision between two mortal enemies, life and death. The two most powerful forces known to man are on a collision course. If you're a physicist or you like the Big Bang Theory on TV, let the irresistible force is about to meet the immovable object. Life and death are going to hit each other head on. And most of us have been taught that every time death comes in, it's inevitable. And that 100% of all people are going to die. Because death always wins at uh, at the end of life. We have been taught death is certain and death never gives way to anything or anyone. Can I tell you something? If you have been taught that your whole life, you've been taught wrong. You've been taught wrong. We're going to see in a few moments when the king of life tells death to move, death moves. Can I get an amen from 1115? This lady's drowning in grief. 
And Jesus is filling her pain. And then comes a moment that honestly the first time I read it, it kind of made me cringe. Verse 13 says this, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. I like that part. I like that Jesus is sensitive. I like that Jesus cries. That's where I get it from. If you don't like it, it's okay. Deal with it. All right. And then he says to her, don't cry. And then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. Okay, let's just back up the train for a second. Social clue for everybody. You don't interrupt a funeral. It's not cool. Don't ever do it. It's not nice. You don't intrude on a funeral. It's unthinkable then. It's unthinkable now. Unless, of course, you're Jesus. You don't interrupt a funeral, and you most certainly don't people tell people not to cry. I mean, can, seriously, I read that. I'm like, what are you doing, God? What do you mean, don't cry? She's brokenhearted. Her kid just died. Of course she's going to cry. All she can do is cry. It almost sounds cruel, unless, of course, you know what's coming and what's going to happen next. Because the cringe moment doesn't end with the instruction to not cry. Jesus goes further. He touches the funeral stretcher. Now, I'm going to tell you something. In this culture, you just didn't do that. In our culture, people will pay respects and sometimes they'll touch the coffin. In this culture, you don't do that. Let me tell you why. Jesus is Jewish, okay? And to touch a funeral stretcher was to make yourself ceremonially unclean. Everybody in the room that day standing in that parade, when Jesus touched the funeral stretcher, everybody would have gone, (gasps) some people would have gone, oh, that's just gross. Throw up a little in your mouth. I mean, that's how it would have felt to them. It was disgusting. Do you know what I love? Jesus wasn't concerned about touching the defiled. He only cared about restoring the defiled. Which means this. I don't care how dirty you think you are. The God of the universe will go so far as to be politically incorrect and socially wrong in order to convince you that when he touches you, you can be clean again. It's beautiful. Jesus wasn't afraid of being politically incorrect. He was the influencer in this situation, not the influence. If you're a follower of Christ, can I ask you a question? Can the same thing be said about you? Are you the influencer or the influenced? Are you consumed with being like everybody else so that you fit in? Or are you consumed with influencing people so that anybody that sees you, their eyes automatically bounce off of you to your God in heaven who has saved you and raised you back to life? Just a question here. Here comes the rest of the story. So the coffin is stopped. He just told the mom, don't cry. And then this happens. He said, Jesus speaking, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. If you're a skeptic, I totally understand. It's like, Jesus raised the guy to life? Are you kidding me? There's a word for this. It's called a miracle. And the reason it's called a miracle is it's outside of our human understanding. You can't explain it away, so don't even bother trying. It's just one of those amazing things that God does when he shows up and surprises everybody. He shows up and turns a funeral into a party. How ridiculous is that? The Bible says they were filled with awe and praised God. 
A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has helped or come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Okay, let, let's just go a little deeper here. I love how the Bible lays this out for us. It says Jesus steps up, speaks with authority, and says to the dead man, get up. And I'm sure everybody's like, oh. And in every crowd, there's always two guys, right? Always two guys in the back corner. One of them's elbowing each other, and they're having their own little commentary. And this is how I picture it in my twisted, creative kind of mind. He elbows, they're just like, I think he's talking to the dead guy. <laughs> she's like, no, 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 he couldn't be talking to the dead guy. No, really, I think he's talking to the dead guy. And verse 15 says, the dead man sat up and began to talk. I got a question for you. The Bible doesn't tell us, but what do you think he said? You know what? I think what he said depended on where he just came back from. (laughs) Think about it. I mean, if he just came back from, now remember, we're in this gap between Old Testament and New Testament. If he just came back from the quote-unquote bosom of Abraham, which is kind of weird, especially if you're a guy, but you know, get the picture, all right? But that beautiful place, I'm sure if he came back from there and all of a sudden he's back here again, sits up and starts talking, I'm sure there was some part of him that was just like, really? Really? You brought me back here? Do you have any idea where I just was? Do you have any idea what I could do while I was there? That was awesome, and now I'm, I'm back in Judea. Yay, we're back in Nain. <laughs> Might have said something like that. I wonder what he would have said if he came back from the other place. <laughs> Ooh, that was hot. <laughs> right? This guy knows two things. Hell is hot, forever is a long time. And the Bible says that Jesus has a conversation with him and then he gives him back to his mom. Can you imagine that reunion? You get up in the morning thinking you're having another funeral. And Jesus shows up in the middle of your funeral. He decides to throw a life party. Because he steps into that moment and looks at that dead body and said... You're going to be raised to life. I can imagine how grateful she was that day. Because God didn't just give her back her son. He also gave her back her future and her hope and her joy and her peace. And those of us that are here that know Jesus as personal Savior, we know what that feels like when God gives you back everything that the enemy has stolen from you. Verse 16, they were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has come to help his people. Look what happens. There's two crowds and they get all mixed in with each other and the procession following Jesus meets this procession that's following the coffin and suddenly when death is defeated, the two groups of people merge and you know what happens? They become a church. They begin to praise God. All of a sudden, tears are turned into smiles. Cries are turned into shouts. Mourning has been turned into laughter and joy. Why? For one reason, because the power of Jesus is greater than the power of the grave. Can I get an amen on that one? Two processions. They start that day. One coming out of Nain, led by death. The other coming into Nain, led by Jesus. And when they collide, there's a resurrection. Why? Because death can't hold its position in the face of life. Death can't reign when Jesus is around. Death is powerless and has to give way when it meets Jesus. Because Jesus, my friends, is the resurrection and the life. And no one gets to the Father unless they go through him first. That's what the Bible says. Verse 17. 
This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So the purpose of all of this is so that verse 17 would happen. The young man was raised so the reputation of Jesus would begin to ripple through the countryside because God wanted to win every single person in that neighborhood. That was the purpose, and the purpose was served. Now, I said this was a story of twos and ones. Some of you are like, shouldn't you have said ones and twos? No, we flipped it over. Twos and ones, and we've covered a bunch of twos, but what about, what about the ones? Where do you find in this story the ones? Well, I find it this way. There was one saved life. This young man, we have no idea what his spiritual trajectory was. All we know is in this particular moment, one second he's dead and the next second he's alive. Because God said, death doesn't have the final word when I'm around and I choose whether or not you are raised to life or not. And in this case, that was the miracle that happened. So this one saved life. What else have we got here? We've got one thankful soul. I mean, can you imagine the gratitude of this mom after realizing that all of her hope was gone and suddenly Jesus basically plays out a resurrection right there in the center of this story and everything changes for her. Now, whenever you read the Bible, you should always be asking the question, who am I in the story? So just for the record, none of us are Jesus, okay? We get that, right? Unless you want to head down to a local funeral home and show me your stuff. Um, none of us are Jesus. So we all look at the story and we go, well, then I guess that makes us the dead guy, right? And that would be true. So many of us in this room, we understand. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one, that all of us are dead in our sin. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. But we also remember that moment when God, in His mercy, extended grace to us and in our dead spiritual condition, something came to life inside of us when God said, everything that I did, I now pour into you so that you can be raised to life. And some of us remember that. So we all go, okay, I'm not Jesus. We're all the dead guy, but I'd like to talk to the followers of Jesus or the Christians in the room for just a second. Are you the mom? See, some of us got saved and we got infected with something called the joy of our salvation. And you remember what it was like when you were a young believer and, and, and people, you just couldn't shut your mouth about what Jesus had done for you. And then over the years, you kind of get a little bit jaded and you get a little bit cynical and, and you start to kind of freeze up a little bit and, and you go from God is good to God, God's good on Mondays, Thursdays, and every other Saturday. God's good, you know. Life happens and death happens. And the cancer diagnosis comes. And pretty soon, you've lost the joy of your salvation. And every day for you is like getting up and you just take your place in a funeral procession that keeps walking towards a spiritual graveyard because you've lost your hope and you've lost your joy. Can I tell you something? If you have lost your joy and your example of life is to take your place in a funeral procession every week, I want to tell you something. God has just as much work to do with you as he does with the dead guy. Because mm. he wants you to understand there's so much more to life 
than just taking your place in a funeral procession, that there's something that's supposed to happen deep inside of your soul that's supposed to last for your entire life. You know what, Christ the King? Some of us need to understand something. The joy that we say in our heart needs to take an 18-inch bump and actually erupt out of our face. Because some of us are walking around just like, yes, thank you, Jesus. Life is good. Awake, awake, man, just like, you know, Andy's jumping on, maybe I should jump, I don't know, you know. And we begin to navigate and negotiate the frozenness that's happened inside of our soul. I'm going to tell you something. When you have been dead and suddenly you're alive, you're going to have a certain level of spiritual energy that's going to carry you for the rest of your life. And some of us need to figure out that Jesus is alive, God's not dead, which means church should be a party every single week. Jesus came to save them both, which means we're all included in what's going to happen during this season when God raises people to life. What happens? These parades combine. They become one worshiping family. They become one church praising God. Why are they celebrating? Because there was one purpose that was served. The name of Jesus begins to, to, to ripple through this neighborhood, and at the center of it all is one triumphant Savior. You know why I love Easter? Because <laughs> Jesus wins. Because God wins, because life wins, because death is gone and funerals disappear, because a party begins and the truth comes out all to the front. The death doesn't have the last word when Jesus is around. The death cannot hold sway in the presence of Christ. The death doesn't reign when the king of life is there. The death is powerless and has to give its way when it meets the one who's the resurrection in the life. That's why Paul said to the Corinthian church, death has been swallowed up in victory. So now we hear Jesus saying, don't cry, we get it. He's saying, don't cry, because death does not have the last word when it comes to your son. Don't cry, because death doesn't have the last word when it comes to your life and your soul and your hope and where you're going to be heading for the rest of eternity. I just love the fact that we have been taught our whole lives to fear death and avoid it at all costs. Now, I agree with the second part of it, right? I avoid death at all costs. That's why I go home on the Hannigan, all right? I mean, it's just a little safer, right? I avoid death at all costs. And I want to encourage you, please, today, what'd you learn in church? Grant said we're to avoid death at all costs. You should do that. Try your best to stay alive. But we also need to understand this. Why would I be afraid of death when the king of life told me When it comes to you, death does not have the last word. Why would I be afraid of that? In fact, I need somebody to do me a favor. If I die before you, they're probably going to have a thing here, okay? And I'm going to invite you to come, come and hang out. If one or two of you would shed a tear, that'd be awesome. You just speak my language just for a second. But I hope and pray there would be at least one of you that during that mic sharing time, that you'd pick up a microphone and say this. (laughs) this one thing I know, that guy cried a lot. (laughs) He cried a lot, but one of the reasons he was crying is because he was so unbelievably moved that the God of heaven would have mercy on his soul. And because Grant knew Jesus, this is what everyone at his funeral needs to know. Because he knew Christ, the boy in the box isn't dead. He's alive, and he's with Christ, and one day we're going to have an opportunity to meet together. 
That's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to interrupt a funeral. You know, if you look through the Gospels, you're going to notice this about Jesus. He has a nasty habit of messing up every funeral he shows up at. Every funeral he goes to in all of the Bible ends up turning into a party and a celebration. It's crazy. Every time Jesus steps into the center of grieving, he brings a resurrection along with him. It happens with the, uh, the widow of Nain. It happens with, the, with Lazarus. It happens with the daughter of Jairus. It happen- Jesus messed up his own funeral. <laughs> Three days later, it's kind of like, oops, thought the guy was dead. Apparently not. He just has this thing but showing up with dead people and making a bold proclamation. Somebody needs to get raised to life. (laughs) We need to turn this funeral into a party because that's the way God operates. So I got a question for you. Do you know the God who raises people to life? Do you know the Jesus who shows up on a collision course in the middle of a funeral procession and says, oh, you guys thought you were going to spend the whole day crying? No, that's not going to work Not now that I'm here. Have you traded a coffin for a crown? Have you chosen between life or death? Because I want everybody to know, Jesus would love nothing more than to interrupt your funeral procession. Because at some level, we're all headed towards a cemetery, right? God would love to interrupt your funeral procession with a resurrection. How do you do that? And I put it in your outline under one present opportunity. And today, I just, I just want to read something to you. For the veterans in the room, my prayer is that, that it'll take you back to that moment when you were raised to life. That you'd go back to that moment with me when, when you realized that, that God saved... I was an eight-year-old kid behind Linden Lane's elementary school. And, and I prayed because a group of kids from Alabama came and did a five-day club. And, and, and they, didn't talk about, they didn't talk about churchianity. They talked about Christianity and a relationship and, and the beauty of being forgiven and set free and living an entire life. And I remember praying just, just kind of a humble, broken, eight-year-old type of prayer. And then I spent about the next 10 years just quietly living in this, with this subtle anger inside of me, spitting on the very grace that reached to me in that moment. Until my senior year of high school, when God called me out in the front seat of a 1978 Honda Civic and said, it's time for you to live like you've been raised to life. Because there's so much more than how you're living now. For those of you in the room who may not know Jesus at all, I'd love for you to take this prayer and just... And just let it roll around in your heart and head for the next couple weeks. Because the same God who interrupted that funeral procession in Luke chapter 7, He wants to interrupt your life the same way. So just let the words soak in. Dear Jesus, I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that you are the Son of God. That you came to earth to die for my sin. That you messed up your own funeral by coming back to life. Defeating death in the grave once and for all. 
I ask you to forgive my sin and make me whole. I ask you to be the Lord and the leader of my life and to use me to point more people towards you. Let me say that again. And to use me to point more people toward you. And I pray this in Jesus' name because my name doesn't mean squat. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say. Some of us have forgotten what happened in our soul when we prayed that prayer. Some of us have forgotten that in that moment, according to the holy word of God, you were raised to life. Some of us have forgotten that we're supposed to be living. My prayer is that over these next weeks, we, we will come back to that moment of restoration and redemption and hope and joy and peace again and again and again. And that we will celebrate the joy of our salvation. This Easter is going to be different around here because our goal is to interrupt a funeral with a party. Every one of you has an invitation in your hand. Can I tell you something? That invitation was not designed to sit on the front seat of your car. It wasn't designed to be a bookmarker in your Bible. It was designed for you to have one of those holy moments when you actually care enough about somebody else's soul to bring them along with you knowing their funeral just might get interrupted with a party. This is a moment when we actually get to live out. Freely you have received, so freely give. You received the salvation of Jesus. He interrupted your funeral procession and raised you to life. And now's your opportunity to be able to let the famousness of Jesus ripple around the neighborhood by actively inviting and bringing people. You know, here's a crazy thought. What if you invited somebody and they actually said yes? What if God changed the whole trajectory of their eternity on that Easter weekend? The same Jesus who parted the sea and raised the widow's son to life wants to do that again and again and again and again and again. That's his passion for this Easter. So we're going to do something crazy this year. Let me tell you a little bit about Easter weekend at Christ the King. First of all, we're doing four services here and then all of our campuses are doing multiple services. So we got services all over the place. For Bellingham, our services are Saturday at 6, Sunday morning at 8, so we're going to do an early one, 9.30 and 11.30. Sleep in service, we're going to give you an extra 15 minutes so you can get a little more caffeine and kick it up another notch, all right? But I'm going to tell you something on the front end. There's no overflow seating this year at CTK. No overflow, which means this. If you come late and you're mad because there's no seats, if you come and complain to me, I'm going to remind you of something. I have a stick. <laughs> the reason we're not going to have overflow is because we're going to put an 18-foot pool in the middle of the meeting place. And we're going to not have one altar call this Easter. We're going to have two. We're going to invite people 
to do something stupid courageous. We're going to invite people to give their heart to Jesus, then step out of their seat, walk forward, go into this back area over here, which we lovingly call the delivery room on Easter weekend, and they're going to sit with people who are going to listen to what decision they made, they're going to pray with somebody, and then they're going to be given an opportunity to be raised to life spiritually, and then be raised to life symbolically by walking up a back hallway, and we're going to have everything taken care of for you, get saved and baptized in exactly the same service. And it's going to be, it's going to be chaotic, and it's going to be pandemonium, and it's going to be nuts, and I'm just telling you, deal with it. Because we're going to throw a party in the middle of somebody else's funeral. That's how it's going to work. Now I want to encourage you. Some of you are like, I have never taken that step of obedience. Can I say something to you? It's time for you to get out of the funeral procession and join the party and the parade that only Jesus can throw. So we're going to give you an opportunity in two weeks. You may not have even planned it. You may have just come up with 15,000 excuses why you shouldn't do it. We're going to give you an opportunity to go out a different door and climb in the tank. And then the people that just got saved are going to join the back of that line. And over in the meeting place, we're going to have bleacher seating and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And we're going to watch. We're going to get a front row seat. When Jesus steps into the middle of somebody's death and makes a bold proclamation, it's time for you to be raised to life. (laughs) I just get excited just thinking about it. So we need to be praying. We need to be bringing. And we need to be open to God stopping our funeral procession too. So I'm going to ask the band to come back and join me. Because it would make sense that that if we would walk through a time when Jesus interrupted a funeral and threw a party, that we would finish with a moment of worship and praise. The Bible says they were filled with awe and praised God. So today we are going to do that. We are going to be filled with awe and we are going to praise God together by asking Him to give us the courage to step out on the water and live a life of faith and joy. Because He is the resurrection and He is the life. Church, would you stand with me? Let's worship.